You are listening to the Stand with Dignity podcast. Please subscribe to our Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalam ala Sayyidina wa'azimina. وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد اللهم صل على وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه الغر الميامين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية سيدي ومولاي علي بن أبي طالب الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتني لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد يقول الله في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فنادته الملائكة وهو قائم يصلي في المحراب أن الله يبشرك بيحيى مصدقا بكلمة من الله وسيدا وحصورا ونبيا من الصالحين one of the greatest personalities in the history of the religion of Islam, in the history of the religion of Christianity, is John the Baptist, or Yohanna al-Ma'madan, or Nabi Yahya, alayhi salam. Arguably one of the most important figures and one of the most fascinating figures that one can find mentioned in the Bible and in the Quran. Indeed, in the Bible, he is seen as being the greatest amongst men. And in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises him so highly that the day he is born, the day that he is dying, and the day that he is raised alive again is seen in the eyes of God as being days of mercy. Peace be upon him the day that he was born, the day that he died. And indeed, the day that he was raised alive again. You find, therefore, when you come to John the Baptist or to Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, you come across arguably the backbone to the mission of Jesus, son of Mary. If you wanted to see the personality who stood alongside Jesus, son of Mary, the personality who was with Nabi Isa alayhi salam in every step that he went on and was with him when he preached, then you look at Nabi Yahya alayhi salam. Nabi Yahya alayhi salam and Nabi Isa alayhi salam. Both of them went to the lost sheep of the children of Israel. When we say the lost sheep, that could be looked at in a number of different ways. One way is that these people had left the message of Dawood and Musa alayhi salam completely. Their concern now was purely worldly, not otherworldly. They were thinking of the dunya, and had completely forgotten the Akhirah. When therefore the Prophet Jesus alayhi salam 
and the Prophet Yahya السلام, emerge, a Muslim might ask the question that why did God send Jesus and Yahya? For what reason? I understand that when God sent the Holy Prophet Muhammad is because there was a period of jahiliyyah. One may argue that every time God sends a prophet to a particular nation, it could be argued that it's a period where they may be steep in jahiliyyah. But of course, jahiliyyah or ignorance can come in different forms. Some ignorance may come when I say God is in the image of an idol, for example. Some ignorance may come when I completely sell my soul to other than God. I might sell my soul to my business and forget God. I might sell my soul to my own wife or my own family and forget God. I might sell my soul to the emperor and completely forget God. And that's why in that time you had two groups who would cause the biggest trouble for Jesus and John the Baptist, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's the difference between the two? Both of them had a relationship with the Torah, but weren't living up to what the Torah was teaching. One were literally teaching the Torah, and the others were interpreters of the Torah. One was upper class, others claimed to be religious and pious, and the followers of God's word, but the reality was that they had led the flock of the sheep of the children of Israel far away from the teachings of Nabi Musa salam. Nabi Musa salam had come with a message which these people who were living in Palestine at the time were very far from as in when John the Baptist emerges and when Jesus salam emerges they emerge at a time where everyone's claiming that we're going to give you liberation from Rome and we're going to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. Everyone was claiming this, but who were the truthful ones to claim this? People had realized that, yes, we had deviated away from the message of Nabi Musa salam, And that we who are God's chosen people have to find ourselves. No doubt at the time, in the area of Jerusalem, it was ripe for a Messiah to emerge. The Essenes, for example, of the groups of people who were living at the time, they believed that two messiahs would emerge. One, a kingly messiah. Another, a priestly messiah. And that could be seen possibly when one looks at the emergence of John the Baptist and one looks at the emergence of Jesus, Nabi Yahya and Nabi Isa. Because one of them could be seen as being the king who was going to be the messiah and the other could be seen as the priest who was going to guide the people to the idea that they should balance their dunya with their because someone might ask the question, why would Allah send Yahya and Isa at the same time? Nabi Yahya was six months older than Nabi Isa salam. That's it. They were like not just cousins. We said yesterday when we had discussed the fact that Nabi Zakariya salam's wife was the aunt of who? Was the aunt of Maryam. Therefore, Nabi Zakariya's son, Elizabeth and Zakariya's son would be Maryam's first cousin. So Nabi Yahya would be Nabi Isa's second Cousin, not only were they family members who were close to each other, but they begun a journey to try and purify not just Pilate or Herod of Rome, but to purify what the people of God had become. They both noticed that they could work as a tag team with one another, that one could focus on speaking his message in the form of parables, and the other could be more direct. 
Nabi Yahya alayhi salam was more direct in his Amr bil ma'roof wa nahi alal munkar. Nabi Isa alayhi salam was much more about emthila, the parables that I can give to get the message across. Both of them, of course, have their way. Sometimes when you give lectures, for example, sometimes you need to be direct on an issue. Sometimes, no, you could give examples to get the message home where you tell someone instead of saying, you're going to burn in hell, you're a sinner. You could say that, listen, is it worth you doing all of this? Isn't the example of those who have come before you a lesson? So as a tag team with one another, they were a phenomenal tag team. But many of us know about Jesus. How many of us know about John? Let us tonight examine John the Baptist, Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, in order that we're able to understand the greatness of his message. And I'd like to do this in the following stages. Number one, he is known as John the Baptist. What exactly is this baptism? What is the meaning of the ma'madan, as we say in Arabic? Do we believe in this baptism? Number two, if Jesus is infallible and sinless, and according to some a part of God, why does John baptize him? Isn't baptism meant to only be for those who are sinners? Number three, why does John never get married? The Quran describes him as Sayyidan wa Hasuran. What is the meaning of Hasur? And was that a message for us not to get married if we need to get closer to God? Number four, how does the Quran highlight the fact that he was a man who stood up, who made sure that he enjoyed the good and forbid the evil? And what was the difference between him and Nabi Isa in their view and their perception of God? Number five, he stood up against the king of his time. It led to his beheading. Why did Imam Al-Hussein and Imam Zain Al-Abidin always mention Nabi Yahya? What were the similarities between the beheading of Imam Al-Hussein and the beheading of Nabi Yahya? Let's examine this in the first part of our discussion on John the Baptist and seek to dissect the topic in complete depth. When we come towards somebody like John the Baptist, automatically the first thing that comes in our head is what's baptism? In the Christian world, of course, there are sects of Christianity that find baptism of the utmost importance. They feel that the riverbanks of Jordan are still part and parcel symbolically of their lives. Because when they hear what John used to do, for them, it shows that the door of repentance is always open. Okay, because you hear in Arabic, Yohan al-Ma'madan. Ma'madan comes from this idea of a sort of baptism. You've seen sometimes in the church, they might take somebody and they put them in water and they bring them out. That reminds them of the role of John. That when John the Baptist came for the lost sheep of the children of Israel, Alongside his cousin Nabi Isa alayhi salam, his role according to Christianity was that role of making sure that the door of repentance was always open. Because many of us are steeped with sins. There's not one person who's watching this television program or this lecture, but that there is a certain sin that they still feel still affects them. All of us are not ma'soom. We've all committed the odd sin or two. And we sometimes wonder whether God's door of mercy is open for us or not. Is that door there for us 
or not. Because you know, sometimes the way people give lectures, you'd think that Allah won't forgive anyone. People sometimes will say you're going to burn in hell because you're a sinner and hell awaits you and all of you will be punished. There's no doubt that the Quran mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shadid al-iqab. But the Quran also mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the merciful, the beneficent. So therefore, for all of us, we look for a door of repentance. Sometimes Christians, their problem with Islam is they feel there's no baptism type, for example, event or ritual in Islam. Well, Christians, they could go to their church and say, for example, the priest will get that person submerged, for example, into that water. And from there, that person is purified. And that is taken from what John would do. And so many Christians felt the door of repentance there was open. A number of questions have to be asked. The first of them, does Islam offer such a purification? Christianity literally says you go into water and you can be purified. Of course, Islam does. Through what? Through ghusl known as tawbah. Because we know very well in Islam, there are a few acts within worship which have a lot to do with water. Wudu, for example, when you see a Muslim washing their face, washing their hands, wiping their head, wiping their feet, that Muslim, what are they doing? In a way, symbolically, it's to purify oneself before you meet the Lord. It's wonderful. As in sometimes there might be certain people out there who are wondering why is it that the Muslims perform this? Same way you believe in a baptism that opens your door of purification with God. Likewise, we have wudu. Not only do we have wudu, we also have that wudu, for example, can be that which you do before prayer. But if a person, for example, ends up, let's say, in a state where they have physical intercourse one way or the other, whether it's, for example, ejaculation in a dream, or, for example, a person in their physical relation, then we have what is known as ghusl. This ablution, which is more expansive, which covers the whole of the body of the human being. This ghusl that we do, so for example, even now, if someone who's in their period of puberty or adolescence is watching my lecture, that someone says that I noticed that, for example, I may have had a certain liquid emerge from me in what is known as a certain ejaculation, then that person may ask, is there something obligatory for me to do as a Muslim? Can I just not get up and do wudu, for example, and then go and pray? No, you would have to perform the ghusl. A ghusl which can either be performed in two, one of two ways. One way is that you do it, for example, washing your head and your face, and then you move towards the right and the left and the front and the back. Or look at the similarity that occurs with baptism, submerging into water yes many of us would have studied tartibi and Tamasi within our early schools in the madrasa that is to do what to purify me completely so therefore you have ablution wudu. you have that ghusl someone says another ghusl for salat al-jum'ah for example i want to go to pray salat al-jum'ah i might do ghusl al-jum'ah got nothing to do with ejaculation nothing to do with physical intercourse but i'm going for the friday prayer another one which is fundamental and probably the most similar to baptism is what? The most similar is ghusl tawbah The ghusl of tawbah What do I mean? There are some of you who are watching this who may have committed zina, adultery for many years before you got married. 
And because of that, you never ever, for example, contemplated doing anything in the halal way. It was your teenage years. You ended up, some people had ended up, for example, masturbation. Others had ended up, for example, having physical relations outside of any form of marriage. You might think to yourself, that has God really forgiven me? Of course, the doors of forgiveness are open. 15th of Sha'ban, the day of Arafah. Daylat al-Qadr, all of these doors are open. But one of the ways in which the door can be open is by performing a ghusl known as ghusl al-tawbah. You literally just do the same ghusl as you would do for the normal ghusls. And then from there you say, Ya Allah, never will I perform that act. There are some of you who may have had an abortion and you may ask God for forgiveness. Do ghusl al-tawbah. There are some of you who may not have worn hijab the whole of your life, but the whole of, uh, month of Ramadan, the shahar, it's meant to be a shahar of transformation, a shahar of change. You go and do ghusl and you say that this shahar Ramadan is the year that I've decided that I will make sure that I make God proud and say the Zainab proud as well. That you do ghusl tawbah Someone says, but bro, I smoke drugs, ghusl tawbah Someone says weed, ghusl tawbah Alcohol, ghusl tawbah Adultery, ghusl tawbah Stealing, ghusl tawbah I even was a person who was a Muslim, ghusl tawbah All of these, ghusl tawbah can apply to. Even if you can try and read dua tawbah of Imam Zain al-Abidin alayhi salam. Alongside finishing ghusl tawbah you have a complete purification. Therefore, Christianity said John the Baptist. By the way, do we as Muslims believe that he was a baptizer? We honestly cannot reach a conclusion as to whether that part of his acts was something part of the original Bible or something that may have been changed. But for us, there is no such thing as baptism as such. You go to a mosque, you're not going to walk in and have a Mawlana throw you in the shower in reality. But what you will have is that ghusl tawbah allows a person to have that salvation and that repentance that John wanted on Jordan. When a person then turns around and says a question, why does John baptize Jesus? Hisaf, you baptize me, you got a point. You're going to baptize someone else, you have a point. All of us are sinners. How do you baptize God or the Son of God or God and the human? Whatever your conception is of Jesus, how do you baptize Jesus? That's why I found it confusing that Matthew elaborates a lot more on Jesus' baptism than Mark. Mark, as we know, is earlier than Matthew. Mark mentions John baptized Jesus. But if you believe Jesus is God or the Son or God in the flesh, surely you believe he is the purest of the pure. Why would he need to be baptized? For what reason? Matthew tried to elaborate on this where Jesus extends the conversation where John says, no, 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 you're the one who has to baptize me, O Nabi Isa. And then Jesus is as if saying, you know what, let's just do it like this this time. And we conform to what has been done. For us as Muslims, there is no need for a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go and be purified by some water. That prophet is someone. Yes, one may argue that prophets of Allah in the Quran do istighfar, asking God for repentance of forgiveness. But with the baptism of Jesus, a question arises, why would you baptize the Lord? Why would you baptize the Lord in the flesh? That is something, therefore, that we completely reject. John, as we said in the Quran, is mentioned what? Is mentioned as Yahya. Did anyone have his name before him? No. He's the first to be called Yahya. Some might say John, John, John. There's a number of Johns that we could refer to. Maybe we refer to Yohanna as none before him. 
Yahya was born according to some after a six-month pregnancy. Even some say Nabi Isa was born after a six-month pregnancy. But Nabi Isa is a bit more different to Nabi Yahya alayhi salam. Some say Nabi Yahya was born six-month pregnancy. His name is Yahya. And the Quran mentions how God gave the news to Zakaria. When the Quran mentions how God gave the news, very interesting. The angels called on to Zakariah. What did I say yesterday? In the mihrab, he asked for his dua. Where did the angels tell him he's going to have her? In the mihrab. Allah gives you glad tidings of who? Yahya, Allah gives him the good news. Allah is as, as if Allah names him. Yes. Remember this, by the way, when I come back to my similarities between Yahya and Imam Al-Hussein alayhi salam. Allah is the one who confirms the word of God on earth. Who is it that confirmed the coming of Jesus? Who is it that stood next to Jesus through all his difficulties? Do you know how hard it was for the two of them? Standing in front of Bani Israel. You know, sometimes the biggest enemies you have are not outside of your religion. They're within your own religion. Sometimes within your own religion, you have a group which is wonderfully described in the Bible. A brood of vipers, Matthew calls. You see, uh, John the Baptist calls the scholars of his time. What does he call them? A brood of vipers. He says, and I'll elaborate on this in my lecture tomorrow, about how the scholars within your community, or those who are protectors of the tradition, can be the biggest snakes in the community. He had to face a brood of vipers. The vipers were out there. The Pharisees were out there. And who else was out there? Not just the Pharisees, the Sadducees as well. These were people who were proficient in the Torah. The, the Sadducees were of the upper class. The others were interpreters of the Torah. Now, somehow, we have to make sure that the lost sheep of the children of Israel, we get through to them. We have to remind them of dunya and akhirah. At the moment, they are so steep into their dunya that they'll sell their soul for a small amount of money and we'll see this clearly when they try and put jesus on the cross who is the one who stabs him in the back and for how much you found therefore that the two of them came together the quran said he is the one who was the truthful confirmer of the word of allah on earth the backbone to nabi isa alayhi salam a master who was honorable وحصوراً. question what's hasur it's a big one now hasur means what because i'm looking at this word sayyid i understand nabi i understand but there's one word between sayyidan and nabiyan min as-salihin that is huge وحصوراً. حصوراً, according to the majority opinion was that he did not have interest in the woman of his time. Now, there are priests in the world who don't get married. And when they don't get married, they can easily use the word hasur in the description of John the Baptist. Nabi Yahya alayhi salam is described as hasur. Of course, non-Shia have the belief that he may have had a physical defect that affected his love for 
or wanting to get married or wanting to be with a woman. Of course, us as Shia completely reject this. But then someone says, Sayyidina, hold on. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi says, An-nikah sunnati, faman raghiba an sunnati falaysa minni. Getting married is from my sunnah. And whoever stays away from my sunnah is not one of us. Imam Ali says, Man tazawwaja faqad ahraza nisfa deen. Falyataqillah fid nisfil. Akhar. Imam Ali says, whoever gets married has completed half his religion. Okay? Let him be conscious of God and the other half. The Quran said, وَأَنْكِحُوا الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِمَائِكُمْ إِنْ يَكُونُوا فُقَرَاءَ يُغْنِهُمُ اللَّهِ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ The Quran is saying, marry of those amongst you, those who are single. If they are poor, we'll make them rich. Question then is, how is it that the Prophet and Imam Ali alayhim salam and the Quran is saying marriage, marriage, marriage. Our Mawlana say get married, get married, get married. And yet here we have Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, the Quran describing him as Hasur. The question number one is that Nabi Yahya alayhi salam was against marriage or he had no interest in marriage. There's a difference between the two. If a person says I'm against marriage, it's better for me not to get married. That is wrong completely. If a person's situation of his time dictates that marriage or woman was the least of his interests, that's a different story. For us, Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, number one, by the way, Nabi Yahya did not live till the age of 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. Nabi Yahya was killed and he was just reaching his 30s. Most people get married around that time. Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, however, was the type of character who wanted to act as an exemplar with Bani Israel of trying to build themselves spiritually, but to also remind them of their duties with the other world. What do I mean by this? Nabi Yahya, the last of his concerns was getting married and having a wife. The first of his concerns was how these people had neglected the Torah and how they had now gone so far away from any thought of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that's why you'd find that Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, the type of person that he was, was so in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that if you know when you hear those hadiths, someone used to pray a thousand rak'ah a night, and you get mystified by it, he was that type of person. That type of person, who was so immersed in his love of God, and so immersed in his conception of Akhirah that if he ever heard a talk on Jannah or Jahannam, he'd sometimes leave the mosque because he couldn't stop crying. His dad, his dad once gave a lecture, Nabi Zakaria was giving a lecture about one of the areas of Jahannam, I think a mountain in Jahannam called Sakran Mountain. Sakran Mountain is one, meant to be one of the deepest, worst pits of hell. You, you could forget getting out of there. Middle of his dad's lecture, he left. He left the mosque or he left the area of worship. His dad went looking for him. He saw him lying in mud, crying nonstop. His dad said to him, what is it? He said, how, how is it that someone can be neglectful of the signs of Allah when there are pits of hell that await them like this? How does a person not grow a fear of God and a love of God at the same time? That type of personality is not one who's going to get married very quickly. That type of personality, even to live with such a personality, to find someone of that level. Didn't, don't we always say, if it wasn't for Ali, there would be no one fit enough for Fatima Zahra to get married? 
only Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam could Fatima al-Zahra look up to in her life and marriage. True? Anyone else would have been lower. Nabi Yahya therefore, when the Quran says Hasur, doesn't mean that Nabi Yahya was against marriage or Nabi Yahya believed that marriage will take you backwards. Rather, in his time, you wouldn't find a kufr for him. Therefore, in his time, he focused on what? <coughs> that the children of Israel were the lost sheep and he was trying his hardest to find a way in which he could guide them. He dedicated this every single day of his life. And that's why there's this interesting discussion about Jesus versus Yahya. What's the discussion? Nabi Yahya was the type who'd focus more on fear of God. Nabi Isa was the type who'd focus more on waiting the mercy of God. You know, in our families, we have two types of people in our families. You've got one type who always are like, well, if you don't do that, you're going to hell. You've got another type who are like, but Allah is the most merciful. Look forward to God's mercy. When you have those two types, though, they say that Nabi Isa and Nabi Yahya were those two types of people. That Nabi Isa would talk more of the mercy of Allah. There would be a real tafa'ul in the way he'd look at things. Whereas Nabi Yahya alayhi salam, what would he be looking more at? Wallah, you should fear God. Wallah, why aren't you praying? Wallah, why aren't you... How many times sometimes your mom gives you those lectures? Lesh bas salli, gum salli, lesh bas so... Lesh Quran, get up, read Quran, what's wrong with you? <coughs> Nabi Yahya alayhi salam was that type of person who would always be telling people, do this, do that, stand up, make sure you do this, don't go against this. Nabi Isa alayhi salam different way. Why don't you think of God's mercy? Allah is arhamar rahameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the doors of Jannah are so wide for all of you. And that's why they asked the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family. When he mentioned that Nabi Isa was like this and John the Baptist was like this. They said to him, Ya Rasulullah, which way do you prefer? Which way would you go by? You found that the Holy Prophet said, I take the preference of Nabi Isa alayhi salam. That yes, in Zuhud, one may argue that Nabi Yahya was higher than Nabi Isa alayhi salam. His Zuhud was on a different league. But does Zuhud, monasticism or spirituality, it can be seen in the wrong way or the right way? What do I mean? Because there are people who can fall in that trap that I won't get married because I want to dedicate my life to Allah. Why can you not dedicate your life with a partner? You can find someone who you get married with and that person you get married to can become your partner in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember someone came to Imam al-Sadiq and said to him, said to the Imam, said to him, and she was a lady. She said that I have decided to go on the path of spirituality. The Imam said, what is that? She said that I will not get married to a man. Why? Because getting married obscures the path to God. Imam al-Sadiq replied with a wonderful reply. He said, if getting married was an obstacle in getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Fatima al-Zahra would never have got married. Yes. Fatima al-Zahra got married, tick. Fatima al-Zahra became pregnant, tick. Fatima al-Zahra had children, tick. Fatima al-Zahra looked after her family, tick. Worshipped Allah, tick. Became the best social figure, tick. Political figure, tick. Ethical figure, tick. Spiritual figure, tick. Did marriage hinder Fatima al-Zahra's closest to Allah No. 
Do you know that some of the companions of Rasulullah stopped having physical relations with their wife? Some of them stopped eating meat. Some of them stopped cleaning themselves. Rasulullah said, what's this? What's this? Why? They said, monasticism. Yeah, we want to be like the monks. Because some of these monks and priests, they take the message that John the Baptist never got married. So why should we get married? This, the Quran said, was a rahbaniyah that they had innovated. Yes. This was an innovation. Rasulullah sallallahu said, I get married. I eat meat. I put perfume. Spirituality is not in you keeping away from these. It's in you controlling them and them contro not controlling you. Yes? There's nothing wrong with a person having perfume or meat or a person getting married. As long as those things don't become that which control him, but he controls them. I, for example, can eat meat. But if I can't live without meat, there's a problem in my spirituality. What's wrong with a person having a meal that doesn't have meat? If it's all about the meat, then I've missed the spirituality completely. Therefore, when we came to Nabi Yahya the Quran said what? وَسَيِّدًا وَحَصُورًا وَنَبِيًّا مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ That he was a Sayyid, a master, an honorable man. A man who stayed away from the want of woman, not because he disbelieved in marriage, not because he rejected marriage, not because he thought woman hinder your progress to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but rather in his time, the mission for him was bigger than getting married. The mission was that this Jerusalem is full of groups, broods of vipers, people who are scamming each other, people who've left the message that came with David and Sulaiman and Musa, that's the mission we need to speak out against these people and also speak out against whom? Against the dictators of our time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him. How does he mention him? Salamun alayhi yawma wulida wa yawma yamut wa yawma yub'athu hayya. Peace be upon John the Baptist the day he is born. Question. Birthdays are bid'ah? If I celebrate a birthday of a prophet, it's a bid'ah? Because today, the whole idea of Mawlid or Mawlidi, you look for example, there are parts of the Muslim world, the Mawlid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi was celebrated. Today, everywhere you go, Mawlud al-Rasul, bid'a, bid'a, dalala, shirk, bid'a. In, in Tanzania, parts of East Africa, Zanzibar, the Mawlid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi is honored. West Africa, the Mawlid is honored. Allah said, Salamun alayhi yawma wulida, peace be upon him. The rahmah of Allah comes down on the day a prophet is born. If the rahmah of Allah comes down on the day Yahya is born, tell me Allah's rahmah does not come down on the day Muhammad sallallahu alayhi is born. When now I see certain Muslims who from a young age used to be of those who used to celebrate the mawlid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi and are being told it's a bid'ah, stay Baba, 17th of Rabi'ah al-Awwal or the 12th of Rabi'ah al-Awwal, both of them are days where I remember Allah's rahmah on mankind. That he gave us rahmah lil'alameen Muhammad sallallahu alayhi Therefore Allah said that the day John was born, was a day of rahmah, salam on him, salam on the day that Jesus was born. If it's salam on the day he's born and the day Jesus is born, how can it not be salam on the day Muhammad sallallahu alayhi is born? So therefore, when someone today comes and tells you, don't celebrate the birth of Rasulullah, this is shirk, this is bid'ah, say, wait, my Lord praised the day that John the Baptist was born. He praised the day that Nabi Isa was born. 
Likewise, there is no praise worthy like the praise on the day Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was born. And the day that Ali was born. And the day that Fatima was born. And the day, inshallah, that we remember tomorrow, the day that Hassan was born. And the day that Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam was born. All of these mawalid that we have, anyone who tells you this bid'ah first, our imams tell us, if you want to be in Jannah, be happy on our days of happiness and be sad on our days of sadness. The next issue that arises, John the Baptist, what did he do? Quran mentions, peace be upon him the day he's born and also the day that he died. Now, if we ever lost anyone in humanity and it was a big loss, at a young age, it was Nabi Yahya salam. Nabi Yahya saw that on the one side, the children of Israel were in absolute no man's land. He was trying to act as a role model to all of them, reminding them of their relationship with God. On the other side, of course, the emperors of that time, who was at the top? Pilate, who was his henchman running, doing all the work for him? Herod. So you had Pilate and you had Herod, because I need people to understand the context of the birth of Nabi Isa alayhi salam. That in Jerusalem, the Romans are in control, but the Romans and the Jews are killing each other non-stop. One's fighting the other, one's massacring the other, one's hating the other. But you had some of the Jewish community who were close to some of the Roman leaders. So you had Nabi Yahya continuously doing Amr bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar. Nabi Isa's way was a lot more diplomatic. Whereas Nabi Yahya's way was outright, what's haram is haram, I'll say it in your face. And that led to his execution. Why? King of the time wanted to have a relationship which in Islamic law is haram. What is it? One opinion, he wanted to marry his wife's daughter. You know in Islam, if you marry a lady, and she's already got children from another marriage, you cannot marry those children, correct? Even if that lady dies and you want to marry what is really her daughter, but to become your stepdaughter, you cannot. It is haram to do this. One opinion was that the king of the time wanted this to happen. He wanted to marry the stepdaughter, his wife's daughter from another man. Are you allowed to marry your wife's daughter who's from another father? You're not. It's haram. That king came to Nabi Yahya alayhi There's a second opinion, by the way. The king wanted to marry his brother's daughter. In Islam, are you allowed to marry your niece? Is it disgusting? Of course. But when you are an arrogant king, who nobody is reprimanding for that arrogance, and I won't say that the king didn't respect Nabi Yahya. He did. But sometimes in this world, when there's something you want badly, anyone who gets in the way, you'll take them. True? That king came to Nabi Yahya and said, listen, you know my, my wife, she has a daughter. I want to marry her. Am I allowed? Nabi Yahya said, no, you're not allowed. No loophole. People always want loopholes. Must be some loophole. No loophole. He said, okay, very well. One day his wife, came to visit the king. The king's wife was coming near him and she made sure she got the king drunk. And we know that the alcohol is the root of all evils. When she got the king drunk, she made her daughter, his stepdaughter, walk in 
scantily dressed. This king, when you're drunk, there's no limit to what you'll do. You'll see certain people who'll do things when they're drunk because they'll always say that I couldn't remember what I did, so it's better for them, correct? This king said, I want her. And he was about to get her. The lady said, no, no, no. You want her? There's a price. King said, ask me anything that you want, I'll give it to you. What they thinking at the time? Thinking that whatever money you want, true? How much money do you want? I'll give it to you. She said, no, no, I don't want money. I said, what do you want? <clears throat> Maybe a house you want? No. Clothing? No. Jewelry? No. I want Yahya's head in a ball. I want him dead. When Nabi Yahya and Nabi Isa were reforming society, they knew that they'd make enemies in their reform. These two cousins knew they'd make enemies. Nabi Yahya said, I don't care. You're the king. You ask me, I have to give you the right answer. The king again said to him, listen, Yahya, I want to marry her. Find me a way. He said, I can't. So what happens? She gets the king drunk. The, dr the king accepts. They get Nabi Yahya. They hold him. They put his head down and they behead him. Beheaded him. A Nabi of God, the greatest amongst men, a man who had opened the doors of salvation, the best and the most spiritual, was beheaded by a king because that king had certain desires and that man stood in the way of that king's empire. Where do they put his head? They put his head like in a box or in a ball. And they paraded the head publicly in front of everybody. Imam Zain al-Abideen alayhi salam would always mention Nabi Yahya on his way to Karbala. People wondered why. Why don't you mention Nabi Ayyub? Why not mention Nabi Idris? Why mention Nabi Yahya? Because Nabi Yahya and Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam have unbelievable similarities. Number one, both were born from six-month pregnancies. Number two, Yahya was a name never given to anyone before him. Hussein was a name that nobody had before Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam. Number three, both of them spoke out against the people of their time. Number four, both of them spoke out against the king of their time. Who did Imam al-Husayn speak out against? Which king? Which emperor did Imam al-Husayn speak out against who was ruling the Muslim world? And Imam al-Husayn spoke out against him. Who was it? Yazid, of course. So you found that Imam al-Husayn spoke out against Yazid. Nabi Yahya spoke out against his king. Yazid ordered what happens to Imam al-Husayn? Beheading. The king ordered what happened to Nabi Yahya? Beheading. 